0: So tonight I thought I'd say something about the Sacred Heart, because we're in May, so I could have talked about Our Lady, but I preached about Our Lady on Sunday, Um, but we're near the end of May, so looking ahead to June, and June is the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart. So we'll soon have, just over a week and a bit, the Feast of Corpus Christi, and the Feast of the Sacred Heart follows on from Corpus Christi. These are all connected, as I'll say a little bit in a minute. So what I want to say is first what we mean when we're talking about the Sacred Heart. Um, Then to explain in particular some of the apparitions that were given to St Margaret Mary about the Sacred Heart. And why the Church has particularly focused on those as something to propose to us to draw our attention to what that tells us obviously about God. Then to outline what are called the five reasons, five proofs. knowing that God loves us, which are all in this devotion. And obviously if if we're convinced that God loves us, if we see these five proofs, then that will awaken within us the last point I want to make, which is the the response from us um, that the Sacred Heart devotion should have. So firstly to think what this devotion is about. Um, So there is a visible, sensible devotion, sensible object, and an invisible object. So the invisible is the love of God, but you can't see love. <clears throat> so there's a physical, sensible object of that devotion, and that is the physical heart of Jesus. Um, and the reason this is an important devotion and an important, sensible object is because the heart is what's called a natural symbol of love. So there are some symbols that are artificial, that are arbitrary. So the Union Jack is a flag that represents Britain, but it's a completely random artificial (coughs) symbol. There's nothing in itself about that arrangement of colours that automatically implies Britain. It's something we have chosen to make our symbol. There are other things, though, that have a natural symbolism. So a lion is a natural symbol of courage and strength because the lion is, in comparison to other animals, naturally a more courageous and strong animal. And the heart, in a similar way, is a natural symbol of love. Why is it a natural symbol? Because actually in the heart we kind of feel the effects of love. When a young man is in love, he feels things at an emotional level that change his palpitations. That that the heart is the place where that kind of sense is is experienced. So it's a natural symbol. Um, And so when we point to the heart of Jesus and say that this is a sensible object to this devotion that points towards... The invisible object, which is the love of God, that all of this isn't random. It's a kind of all-god and natural connection. Now, another point to think about here, and um, on one level it's abstract, but it's actually pointing to us the truth about Jesus being true God and true man, is what's called the threefold love of God that is seen in the Sacred Heart so there's his divine love that he had from all time in being God but once he took flesh he has another type of love, a type of love he couldn't have without having a fleshy heart so that is explicit and another two levels there's a a spiritual love in his human soul but then perhaps even more capable of awaking something as a response from us, is to realise that the love of God now has a sensible, physical, emotional level to it because of the Incarnation. That because God has taken human flesh in Jesus Christ, he is able to feel love at an emotional, sensible, effective level, just as we do in a way that he couldn't before the incarnation. So the love of God is manifested in all these three ways. The divine love from all eternity, the spiritual love and the human soul of Jesus. But even this sensible love manifested in the emotions and passions of his human heart. And so when we look at the Gospels and we look at how Jesus responds to things, Is actually the love of God being manifested at that sensible, emotional level. And so it's telling us something about God when we see how he's interacting with people. Just to make a brief historical note. So, um, on one level, when we look at some of the standard paintings of the Sacred Heart, they have a very uh, historical basis that they come um, primarily from the um, 18th century. But they're actually much more ancient in the tradition of the Church, uh, so we can point to Scripture. And the image of the heart in the Old Testament is the image, um, or one of the images, um, ref- referring to kind of the depths of God so um, prophesies in Isaiah I will give you shepherds after my own heart says the Lord and then when the Lord and the prophet Ezekiel talks about needing to change his sinful corrupt people he says I will change your heart of stone for a heart of flesh so in all of those images the heart is being described as kind of the inner core of so when we look to the heart of Jesus, again there's the same sense. It's the, the inner core of him that is being symbolized there. But then down through the centuries, um, God has given visions to different saints about the heart of Jesus. So St. Gertrude in the 13th century and nun um, wrote down a great many of her visions. Most famous of all are the visions that were given to St. Margaret Mary uh, in the 17th century. Uh, So she didn't live long, she died at the age of 43. I think we'd say that isn't living long, (coughs) because the age we are. Um, She was a visitation sister at Paralimonial in France, uh, and she suffered a great deal. So she suffered in making her secret revelations known um suffered from not being understood by the sisters that she lived with um not understood in other things but actually her visions themselves she lived not known um with the rest of the community Um, but were known to her superiors and spiritual director and pope pius the 11th um in particular early 20th century um wrote one of the most famous church documents on the Sacred Heart, his encyclical, On the Sacred Heart. Uh, And he reflects in particular on her visions, and that's two centuries on, um, even though the cult of the Sacred Heart and paintings and statues and everything had pretty much spread at a very popular level. Um, But he said that Jesus had manifested himself to St Margaret and had promised her that all those who rendered this honour to his heart would be endowed with an abundance of heavenly graces. So it's very rare for the church to give an official approval of a private vision. Um, So it happens occasionally. Most of the time the church will say that something is worthy of being believed, but won't actually say it has happened. But this is about as official a statement the church has ever made a private vision in terms of saying it has happened. Um, And since him um, a great many other popes have written uh, encyclicals on the Sacred Heart. Um, Most recently Pope Benedict wrote a long uh, public letter on the Sacred Heart to the superior of the Jesuits because the Jesuits were um, instrumental in promoting the Sacred Heart devotion. So even in England, if you go around different places, the Jesuit churches will be the most likely to have a very prominent statue of the Sacred Heart. And that's connected historically with the Jesuit battle against um, the, Jesuit, uh, the the Jansenists. So the Jansenists were a heresy, particularly in France uh, in the 17th century, so the time that these visions were given to St. Margaret Mary. And the Jansenist heresy, um, there were two things wrong with it. One was that it had a, an overstrong emphasis on the justice of God, so the punishment of God and the fear that we should have. Um, all of which are elements of our faith and are in Scripture, but were so emphasized in Jansenism that the heart of the gospel, the love of God, the mercy of God, was lost. And so this vision. This apparition of the Sacred Heart was a, a remedy given by God to counter that. Another aspect of the Jansenist heresy was the view that human flesh isn't just fallen but is inherently corrupt, it in itself, separates us from God as an evil, bad thing. And the Sacred Heart devotion is the remedy for that. Because it focuses on the fact that Jesus has taken human flesh. And so if Jesus has taken flesh, then the flesh cannot in itself be a bad thing. It might have problems, it might have disorders that need purifying and redirecting. But in itself it's a good thing. And it's become, in a sense, even more good by being elevated by Jesus taking flesh in the Sacred Heart. The last thing to point before referring to St. Margaret Mary herself um, in terms of the picture, what it shows us, um, is that the Sacred Heart shows us the face of God. So if we ask, um, as St. Philip does in the Gospels, um, Lord show us the Father, then we shall be satisfied. You know, What does it look like to see God? Well Jesus answered Philip, to have seen me is to have seen the Father. St Paul in his letters says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And more than any devotions, the devotion to the sacred heart shows us the image of God. What does God look like? looks like that. Now, uh, that particular image there um, is one of my favourites because it has Jesus looking quite manly so often images of the sacred heart he will look quite girly and they'll look girly in part because he's painted in that 17th 17th, 18th century style of men having long hair Mm -hmm. Um, in order to make him look loving he's often made to look a little delicate and soft and feminine and none of these things should actually be in the sacred heart he's a man And that particular image, I think, makes him look a little more manly, even the fact his hands are kind of large, manly hands. So let me point on that image. Actually, let me pass you these cards, because that same image is is over there. (coughs) So, if you look at that image, um, what do you see? Well on a number of levels. So first, there's the fact that the heart is outside of his chest. Well, obviously on one level that's weird, the heart isn't outside the chest, but this is a sign in itself of his love bursting forth, that it cannot be contained, that it is wishing to 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 show itself to to come forward to us. Um, It's not as clear on this image, but There are always um, images of flame at the top of the heart um, so that his heart is on fire with love for us. And fire is a a thing of life, a thing that is contagious, that can spread. Um, Around the heart there are rays radiating out. Um, This is according to St Margaret Mary and what she was asked to have painted as an image of all this, these rays are again a sign of his love reaching out to us. Then around the heart you can see a crown of thorns. Now, no, this these thorns are not on his head, they're on his heart. So this isn't the crown of thorns that he was crowned with before his crucifixion. These thorns, she was told, are a symbol of how our sins wound his love. So these thorns are pointing into his heart in the same way that our sins wound his love. And so that's calling for us to repent of our sins, calling for us to do reparation for our sins. So there's a, a very important symbolism in that crown of thorns around the heart. And then the last detail to note is the cross that is on the top of the heart. So St. Margaret Mary was told that from the instant he took flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the cross was in his life that he was sharing in suffering, that he was born he entered this world to unite himself to our suffering state that pointed to the Culmination of that on the cross at Calvary, but that was a part of his whole human life, and so that's planted on his cross um, as something intrinsic to his love and the incarnation. And so, in what's called the second apparition that was given to Saint Margaret Mary in sixteen seventy four, um, she was asked to be um, to spread this devotion so that he would be honoured under the figure of a heart of flesh. And this devotion was to be a devotion to his love under this image, a devotion that would be calling for expiation, calling for us to make reparation to his wounded heart. Um, And in particular, reparation in receiving Holy Communion, uh, obviously worthily as an act of devotion and love. And he said to her on that apparition, um, it's called the Great Apparition, he said, behold the heart that has so loved men, and instead of gratitude, I receive from the greater part of mankind only ingratitude. So there is at the heart of this devotion, not just an expression of his love, but a lament of how little humanity has responded to him and therefore a calling forth for a greater response from us. And the last part to note about this um, series of visions she was given was that there was a call for there to be a specific feast in the Church dedicated to the Sacred Heart, and that this feast was to follow on from the Feast of Corpus Christi. So Corpus Christi, the feast in which we honour the Body and Blood of the Lord, And the Friday following, um, let me get that right. The Friday following the octave, so it's a week and a bit, um, to be this new feast to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And this twofold connection with the with the feast of Corpus Christi um, is because, on one level, the institution of the Eucharist is a sign of how much He loves us but also because when we receive communion, um, we can be making an act of reparation. It's one of the ways we are being devoted to his heart and love. Um, and that we need to make reparation to him for all the sins committed against the Blessed Sacrament. So I've said a little bit about what we mean by the Sacred Hearts in general, a little bit about this specific vision to St. Margaret Mary. And I want to touch on the what are called the five proofs of the love of God in the Sacred Heart <laughs> Devotion. And three of these are called the divine love and two of them are his human love. Um, so by the divine love, three things that even before he took flesh from all eternity are signs of his love. So the first of those is his providence, so that he works good things for his people. Um, As St. Paul puts it, all things work for the good of those who love the Lord. St. Thomas Aquinas, as you may have heard me say before, says that what does it mean to love somebody? It means to will good things for that person. So if there's someone I love, well I want to give them good things and God shows his love for me by various good things he gives to me and I can doubt that because he doesn't give me the good things I want to have because he gives me instead the things that he knows are better for me Um, St. Thomas notes that well, what is the greatest good thing he could give me well it's actually the forgiveness of my sins And with that, the the promise of eternal life. Of all the good things I could want God to give me, that actually is the greatest good he can give me. The promise of eternal life. Everything else is nice, but it's not as good as that good. So the fact he has given me that good um, is one of the proofs of the love of God and his divinity. The second proof of the divine love of God is the act of creation. So what is God like? He's not just solitary, alone in his divine perfection and just happy to keep goodness to himself. Now, his love, his goodness is such that he wants to share his goodness and to create human life such that he'd be able to give goodness and love to it. So the act of creation is another sign, another proof of the divine love, of the love of God in his divinity. Thirdly, um, the act of incarnation. So even before he becomes incarnate, the decision in the divinity for the Son to become incarnate was an act of love, that he chose to humble him. He chose to take human poverty. He chose to be as Isaiah says, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. As Lamentations puts it, all you who pass this way, stop and see if there is any sorrow like unto my sorrow. He chose to be somebody who was able to weep at the death of his friend Lazarus. Able to weep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Chose somebody to be born in the poverty of Bethlehem, born in a stable born rejected by mankind rejected so that there wasn't even room for him in the inn and that all of that is an act of his divine love because his decision to do that was before he even had a human nature but once he took human nature there are two more signs, proofs of his love we can see in the way he behaved in that humanity at a sensible level. One was how he chose to suffer on the cross. So he chose to atone for our sins. The prophecy of Isaiah says, he was pierced through for our faults, crushed for our sins. The Lord burdened him with the sins of us all. St. Alphonsus, building on St. Thomas Aquinas, notes that when we look to Jesus on the cross, we don't just see an act of atonement, we don't just see him buying us forgiveness, we see him showing his love. That as we sing in the hymn for Corpus Christi, one drop of his blood would have ransomed the guilt of the entire world. So he didn't need to shed all the blood he did on the cross, (coughs) just as a matter of atonement and guilt. He did it so that there would be this colossal sign of his love. So that the real reason for the cross is to be a sign of love. A sign calling out to us for a response from us. And that this love, as St. Paul puts it, isn't just a love for humanity in general, for the crowd, but a love for each of us individually. So that as St. Paul says, he loved me and gave himself for me, says in the letter to Galatians. And that each of us can say this. He didn't just die for the crowd, he died for me. He loves me that we see that in his human behaviour leading him to the cross and then the final uh, sign, proof of his love um, in his humanity and how he behaved as a human um, is the gift of the Eucharist so he chose at the Last Supper uh, as part of his plan (coughs) what he went about doing Leading to the culmination towards the cross, he chose to give us the Eucharist. He chose us to give us the Eucharist to be a way to share in his divine life. He chose to give us the Eucharist, which raises up the dignity of the material order by become, making part of the material order his very self. So again, an, uh, a remedy to the heresy of Jansenism, which says that matter is evil. And gives us the Eucharist to be able to come into physical contact with Him. So Saint Paul, as um, yes, Saint Paul, the, um, Pope Paul the Sixth, um, says that the Eucharist contains Jesus in His physical reality; that the fullness of Jesus, His body, His blood, His soul, and divinity, is all there in the Eucharist. And one of the things this is. ...connected with in the Sacred Heart... ...is that his love for us in the Eucharist is such... ...that he has enab- made himself vulnerable... ...made himself weak... ...made himself capable of us abusing him... ...so that we can... ...as happens every day... ...people walk by the church... ...and the Lord is there in the tabernacle... ...and they ignore him... ...that mankind just walks on by... ...that we can go into the church... And we can genuflect to the tabernacle without even thinking what we're doing. Um, not loving him at all, just a, a random mechanical act. That I can celebrate Mass. And instead of thinking of the immensity of the Lord about to come present in my very hands, I can be thinking about that annoying woman on the third row with a <laughs> button teeth. that he has made himself vulnerable, made himself capable of being abused. And all this is a huge sign of just how much he loves us, how much he is willing to lower himself to be uh, vulnerable to us. So he said in his uh, visions to St. Margaret Mary, he said that the abuses that are committed against him in the Eucharist are more grievous to me than all that I endured in All right, finally, um, what should this awaken from us as a response to the Lord? And three things, um, love for love, repentance, and holy communion. So love for love, uh, that in this devotion to the Sacred Heart, we are called upon to make acts of love. I see in the Sacred Heart that Jesus loves me. I choose to therefore do things as little acts of love for him. So when I do an act of self-denial, when I do an act of generosity, when I answer the doorbell with particular attentiveness to whoever it is that's outside, uh, when I answer the telephone with a sweeter voice, um, I do each of these things not as an act of willpower, not as an act of self-perfection, but as an act of love for the Lord, who has loved me so much as he shows me in his sacred heart. And when I remember in that image of the Sacred Heart that he feels my lack of love, that awakens me to want to respond to him by giving him love to console this lack of love he feels. So the second response from us, repentance. I see this lack of love, I see his suffering at his emotional state. Sensible level in his human heart, and I repent of my sins, I repent of my cold heartedness, I repent of my indifference because I want to stop hurting his heart. Um, so I can make acts of repen- reparation, as you know, when we do penance in Lent or penance on Friday, acts of reparation for my sins. That's reparations for the sins of others. Um, And that's a reparation in particular for the sins against the Blessed Sacrament. And lastly, Holy Communion. So, um, as I've noted already, this devotion um, in these visions, the Lord explicitly connected with the Feast of Corpus Christi. um, So that this love... This devotion to his love manifested in his sensible heart, this sensible sign, is a sign um, of the love he showed in giving his flesh in the Eucharist. And when I receive Holy Communion worthily, I am being devoted to his flesh present in the Eucharist, his same flesh that is in his sacred heart alright and then you just look at the back side of these cards I gave you these have um, what are called the twelve promises um, so these were compiled after Saint Margaret Mary but from her various writings that the Lord made a great many promises to her and um, promises to those who be devoted to his sacred heart, <coughs> to the image of the sacred heart. Uh, I will give them all the graces necessary for their state of life. I will give peace in their families, console them in their troubles. They shall find in my heart an assured refuge during life and especially at the hour of death. I will pour out abundant blessings on their works. Sinners shall find in my heart a source of infinite mercy. Tepid souls shall become fervent fervent soul should rise to perfection. The ninth promise, particularly um, quoted, I will bless the homes in which the image of my sacred heart shall be exposed and honoured. So that should be a particular motive to find a a place in our homes to have his sacred heart. I will give priests the power to touch the most hardened hearts. Um, Those who propagate this devotion shall have my name name written in my heart and lastly uh, linked with communion the all-powerful love of my heart will grant to those who shall receive communion on the first friday of nine consecutive months (laughs) the grace of final repentance they shall not die under my displeasure nor without receiving the sacraments my heart shall be their assured refuge at that last hour Right, so just summing that all up, what is the sacred heart all about? It's the sign of His love. It's a natural symbol because the heart is just a natural thing that expresses love. It's a love of every level um, of God in His the divine love, also that divine love shown in His humanity, in His human soul, but even in His sensible heart. How his heart responded, emotions, passions as we read in the Gospels. And that he made many, um, in the visions to St Margaret Mary in particular, uh, many promises, many uh, explanations and calling out to us that we see this love and that we respond to it.